night, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the show. If you listen to the introduction, uh, thank you for listening to the introduction and seeing who I am. Um, it's a little bit hard to describe myself. I don't even like talking about myself, if that makes any sense, let alone describing who I am. You know, I kind of like to let people see who I am and interact with me and then let them describe themselves, you know, who they think I am. But yeah, welcome back. Uh, your host, Earl. Um, I'm going to try to do this thing at least once a week to see, you know, how it goes, get some stuff off my chest. Hopefully get you thinking and maybe it'll get some stuff off your chest too. Um, if this is your first time listening, this is the this is Black and Blue as Atypical Podcast. Um, as I said in introduction, my name is Earl. I'm 34. I'm a married father of three. I'm a police officer and I'm a special needs dad. And the two things I'm going to mainly focus on this time are the police officer aspect and the special needs parent aspect. Um, so I'll get right into it. I've been a police officer now for 12 years. As crazy as that is to say out loud, it's been 12 years since I started uh, my career as a police officer. Way back in 2007, I started the academy and it's been my life ever since. Um, a lot of times people ask me, what made you become a police officer? What made you decide to take that leap? And to be honest with you, um, it wasn't something I didn't, I didn't see myself doing this at first. Um, my dad, of course, was a police officer for 30 years for the LAPD as well, just like me. And uh, I saw the kind of person that made him become and the kind of man and husband and father that made him become. So I've always been proud of it. I've never been want to shy away from the fact that my father was a police officer. I was proud of him, you know. I thought that's my first personal hero, you know. But uh, I also knew how hard he had to work and the amount of work he had to put in. And I knew he wanted better for me. You know, he pushed me all through school to do something. Uh, from high school all the way till I got to college. And I went to college at Grambling State University which is in Louisiana, Grambling, Louisiana, you know, go Tigers. And uh, I went there for three years. I did study criminal justice. In my head, I was thinking I was going to be a defense attorney or a prosecutor. Hell, maybe even uh, become a judge at one point. And uh, so that was my goal. Um, he, at first, he did not want me to be a police officer. It wasn't that he didn't like the job or didn't think that I would be with do good at it it's just that he wanted me to do better he wanted me to, to be more you know and I think that's a feeling that all parents want for their kids you know but it's especially true for the father-son dynamic you know you try to give them the tools that you can to make them become better people and become a better man and a better husband and a better father than you were hopefully you they keep that ball rolling and the generation goes up and it goes, keeps growing and getting bigger, you know, so I know that was the hope you have for me, and honestly, that was the hope I have for myself. I'm also realizing, too, even at 34, I'm still pretty young, you know, I feel older, thanks to the job I've been doing and, and having three kids and the wife, I do sometimes feel older, but I'm still pretty young, and honestly, there's still a lot of things I can do and want to do, you know, but yeah, 
So I was going to Grandma State University, studying criminal justice, and you know, just being a, a, a young 21-year-old young kid, basically still. Uh, I left Grandma State and got homesick. You know, I was kind of tired of not being able to be around my family as much. You know, I missed a lot of my sisters growing up when she was in high school. You know, I spent a year with her when she was a freshman, but after that, I was gone for pretty much most of her. Uh, high school growing up and I didn't get to see her do a whole lot of things that I wanted to see you know so I transferred I went to to uh, Cal State San Bernardino you know um, good school much different dynamic than what I was used to at Grandma State as you could imagine you know Um, but I went there still studying criminal justice Um, still thinking to myself I'm gonna be probably an, an attorney or a prosecutor or a judge, you know, something along those lines, you know, hopefully change the world from some, some standpoint of criminal justice, and uh, in one of my classes, I can't remember which one at the moment, but one of my classes, an LAPD recruiter actually walked in, he was a young guy, and uh, he gave a pitch, he gave a spiel, and that was the first time I thought to myself, I think I can do that job. You know, he's telling me how fulfilled he was and how happy he was and the difference that he thought he was making. You know, not to mention the fact that, you know, the point that he made that really stood out to me was that school was not for everyone, at least not right out the gate. You know, he didn't go to college. He went to the military. After the military, he went to join the police academy and it became, you know, at the time, I think he was a P3 which is a training officer level at the LAPD. And, uh, you know, that, that really stuck with me because as much as I was trying school at the moment, especially at that time, it did not seem like it was for me. You know, I was just not doing well. At Grandma State, I did okay. I did I did pretty well. But at, at San Bernardino, I was not doing well at all. And my, my heart and my head were just not in it. You know, on top of going to school full-time, I was working at Home Depot full-time, well, not full-time, but, you know, for retail purposes, and say you part-time, but you're working 38 hours a week, you know what I mean, um, so, that started to take a toll on me as well, you know, and as I mentioned in the introduction, I've actually been with my wife for, wow, 16 years now, um, so at the time, we had been together for, uh, four years, you know, she was actually going to school, in Louisiana as well, and then Katrina happened, and she ended up going to school in Arizona, um, so at that time, I was still working there, and one morning, no, one one night, actually, she came to my job, she surprised me, I didn't even expect her to come, and, uh, she tells me, oh, hey, you know, I'm pregnant, I went to the pregnancy test, and I went to the doctor, and I'm pregnant, and I had probably the most rush of emotions that I've ever felt, you know, I was happy, I was scared, I was emotional, I was, I was excited at the same time, I was deathly afraid, you know, I I just, at that moment, I saw everything completely different, and one thing that my father taught me was You take care of your responsibilities, you know. Um, The religion aspect of my life 
My father went to church a lot when he was younger. He knows a lot about the Bible, but it's not something that he pushed on me and my sister per se. He's not. He didn't force us to go to church every Sunday or anything like that. But if we ever had questions about church and, and the Lord and the Bible, he would answer them, you know. And when I was growing up, and probably when around the time that most parents think their kids are starting to be sexually active, you know, we had that talk. And not only from him, but from my mother as well. You know, they grew up in a household and we don't, we don't do the abortion thing, you know. You are smart enough to make responsible choices. And if you get someone pregnant, you know, we're not going to be the ones that are going to help you get rid of that problem with an abortion. You know, we'll help you in any other way, but we're not doing that. So growing up, that was something that's ingrained in my head. I'm not a fan of abortion. So that was never going to be an option. But I was excited anyway, so... You know, it wasn't even a big deal. And of course, my wife at the time felt the same way, scared, excited, unsure, not knowing what in the world the future is going to hold for us. So when she told me that, I immediately thought to myself, what in the world am I going to do? I grew up in this two-parent household. Both my parents worked. Not only that, they worked their butts off and they gave me and my sister a great childhood. I look back on my childhood with so many fond memories. How in the world am I ever going to get that for my own kids? Especially if I'm a college dropout working in retail. So at that moment is when I decided, okay, it's time for me to do something different. So uh, me and two of my buddies, not too long after that, it was a couple weeks after that, we went down and we took the LAPD written test. It was an essay format. Um, I can't even remember the questions, but they 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 lead you to your answer with bullet points, you know. So uh, we took the test, um, and straight from there, the process went kind of fast. We went through all the process, did with the background, and then uh, November 2007, they told me, "Yep, you are going to be starting the academy," and that's when my journey started. So, started the academy, went through all the ups and downs that go through there. Back then, the academy was uh, seven months. So, seven months, I was in a kind of paramilitary lifestyle. We didn't live at the academy. Obviously, we drove home every day and had the weekends off. But while you were there for those eight hours, it was like being in boot camp, you know. Um, after that, did the streets on probation. Did that for a year. And then, basically, been doing that ever since. I've been spending most of my time as a patrol officer. I get in uniform every day. I drive around a police car and I respond to calls for service or I do traffic stops or pedestrian stops, you know? So that's where my experience in law enforcement comes in. When you do that for 12 years, you have a lot of different experiences and it kind of shapes your worldview a little bit different than most, you know, especially when it comes to things that other seem controversial or wrong but I know how to be how I've been in those situations how I've reacted in certain similar situations 
if I was placed in certain situations, I probably wouldn't act any differently. But that goes against the grain, you know. And so normally when it comes to controversial things like police shootings or police brutality or anything like that, unless I'm asked or unless I see something just being grossly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If I'm seeing something that's just demonstrably false being pushed, you know, a false narrative, uh, false facts being put on as um as the truth you know i i try to at least chime in and give a different perspective but also knowing i'm a police officer and how people view police officers you know they uh they don't tend to look at my at my opinions with with the best light they don't look at me like i am actually coming from an unbiased point of view they're looking at me as I'm defending cops because I'm a cop, you know, and that is, if anybody knows me, that's not how I was raised, that's not how I do things, you know, but like I said, it does give me a different view of the world, you know, so that's my experience with law enforcement and how I got into law enforcement, Um, as difficult as it has gotten for law enforcement in the last couple years, I'd say since about 2014, um, I still, for the most part, love my job because I've, I've gotten to the point where I know where I can do my most good. I know where I can do what I can to affect the impact. And while I worked the streets, I have had other assignments. Uh, my most fulfilling assignment was when I was assigned as a youth services officer, which means I was in charge of cadets and junior cadets, which are kids that come to uh, LAPD programs and we offer tutoring and mentoring, and it's also kind of paramilitary where we teach them kind of discipline and ultimately prepare them to be better citizens and be and be better people. And what I like the most about that program is that we weren't pushing them to be police officers. That was not the goal, not the intention of the program. It's teaching them to be better people in general and to go out there and do something positive in the world no matter where you come from. A lot of our cadets and junior cadets came from uh, lower-income in, lower type communities and households, sometimes uh, broken home type households. So we're, they're offering a lot of guidance, and that did not mean that you had to be a police officer. We didn't care what you did as long as you went to school, did well in school, and when you left the program, did something positive in the world. You know, So that was probably my most fulfilling job as a police officer but you know um with this show if anything controversial comes up police wise i will probably offer my perspective on it my opinion on it um hopefully listening to me and my experiences and now that you know a little bit more about me it will help you understand why i come to those conclusions with those opinions and and with those perspectives you know what i mean um because it's, it's controversial. It's, it's a hot hot topic. It's going to continue to be a hot topic uh, with the um, with the advancement of social media and just how how often people can get their story out there now. It's, it's something that's going to constantly be coming up, you know. So I'll always offer my opinions and offer my perspectives. If you agree with it, if you don't agree with it, I mean that's completely up to you. It's just something that I'm going to be doing to hopefully give people a better understanding of what it's like to come from that world not only as a as a 
as a younger police officer but the black police officer and how that different dynamic um, lends to my experience on the job. Uh, the other main thing I said I was going to talk about was my son. You know, my son, Sean. Uh, as I mentioned in as I mentioned in the introduction, he's autistic. He's seven years old now, and he was officially diagnosed mild to moderate autistic when he was three. If I take a look back, um, we started noticing that something was different right around the 18-month mark. Um, the thing about autism is that it affects it affects everyone differently, you know. That's why it's still such a mystery because it's such a broad spectrum and it affects so many people in so many different ways. It's hard to get a grasp on it. Um, So my son, he's the youngest. He was born um, for all intents and purposes. That first year of life hit, I think the milestones when they're supposed to be hit, you know, sitting up crawling, standing up, walking. He did all of that before he was a year old. And, you know, of course, around eight, nine months, he started doing the babbling. And I have a video of him at least at nine months saying, dad, dad, you know. So we didn't see any kind of issues in the first year of life. Um, Now, the most controversial topic when it comes to autism is how it's caused. And I know there was a there was a big thing long before I started having kids about vaccines causing autism. You know, um, that doctor I believe his name was Doctor Wakefield. That was uh, something that is for medical purposes and for any kind of you know reputable source you would think of. Uh, it's been debunked. He's been sued in, in court and lost his uh, medical license and everything like that. So he apparently did some research on it, and the research methods he used were not necessarily moral or, or legal or even correct. And so it's uh, it's still a hot hot topic amongst the uh, special needs community and especially the autistic community as far as what causes it. Um, but with that being said, it was after my son got his uh, one-year checkup. He got about four or five uh, shots that day, vaccines, of course, and uh, nothing happened immediately. And you know, over the next couple of weeks and months, we realized you know something was different. Uh, all that babbling and starting to talking he was doing that was gone. I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen. A child who was talking or babbling and, and doing all this, it just stopped. He wasn't mute, but you know, it, it was my son wasn't really interacting and engaging with us. He wouldn't respond to his name, you know, um, and just seemed to be off in his own world. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand what was happening. And then we get to the and so we're, I'm monitoring it. And fortunately, my experience as a police officer, I, I've dealt with kids on the autism spectrum before, none as young as my son. But you know, I've listened to, to these parents tell me their stories over the over the years, and you know, 
a lot of the things they were telling me started lining up what was going on with my son. So this 18-month checkup, um, we told the doctor the concerns we were having, and her biggest red flag she heard was that he stopped talking. That was her biggest red flag. She went down a checklist of things he should be doing at 18 months, and there wasn't a whole lot of it that we were able to say yes he was doing to. So that, that set the red flags up, and she told us flat out, uh, 18 months is too young to diagnose for autism, but you know we need to start some intervention therapy because I think there's a chance he might be on the spectrum. So me being still, you know, naive and not really full on understanding what's going on, we take the intervention. I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's gonna get this therapy. He's gonna get better. You know, things gonna get better. And they did. But at the three year mark, when he got formally evaluated by a regional center, uh, he was officially diagnosed as, as autistic. And you know, at three years old, he was still wasn't talking. Uh, wasn't always responding to his name, you know, three years old, definitely still wasn't potty trained, uh, eating with a fork and a spoon were still a struggle, you know, things like that, so yeah, it was, it was pretty obvious to us that he was on the, uh, the autism spectrum, and when I first got that diagnosis, I was absolutely devastated, I was absolutely heartbroken, I, you know, I had my daughters, and ever since I started having kids, I wanted a son, you know. Um, So I finally had my son, and I never dreamed that I would become the the parent of a special needs child. You know, I never in my, I never thought that would happen to me. And I try to be careful when I talk about this because there are a lot of, kids and adults on the autism spectrum who are quote-unquote higher functioning and they don't like when people say that there's something wrong you know but when you're first getting into this uh whole new world a whole new experience that's how you describe it you describe it as oh no something's wrong with my son you know it took a lot of time and a lot of trying to understand my son to see that there's nothing wrong with him or anyone on the autism spectrum it's just that they're different but you know I, I wanted a son ever since I started having kids and I was like oh my goodness you know my only son is special needs what am I gonna do you know I, I started thinking the absolute worst I was thinking oh my god we'll never have conversations I'll never be able to take him to a ball game we'll never be able to have you know a sports bond where I can put him in basketball or football or baseball when they're playing video games together you know we'll never I'm, I'm thinking all this worst case scenario stuff in my head as you know that's what we do as parents right we just start thinking the worst and you know I got to a really 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 dark place I did I was not a, a happy person to be around I legitimately did not know how to react and you know the same thing for my wife you know we we don't know how to react to this This is all brand new to us and for the most part brand new to all of our family you know we're we're still the only immediate family members who have a son who's a special needs or even a child in general who's on special needs that's that we're the only ones and you know 
it was rough. It was, you know, the the divorce rate amongst special needs parents is 50%. Add that up with the fact that I'm a police officer, that divorce rate is 50%. Yeah, we definitely uh, have some trials and tribulations that we had to go through. And uh, I have to play my part in and making things better. I had to play my part in making sure that we didn't end up like that. And it was tough. I mean, there's no way around it. It was tough. It was hard. There were some days I legitimately did not want to deal with or talk to anyone, you know. And one day, um, I said, forget it. You know, um, I got to surrender myself not only to God, but to my family and I have to I took a look at my son and I'm like here I am thinking the worst and he is living his best life you know he was always a happy child he enjoyed being himself and I said to myself there's no way I'm gonna help him if I spend all this time not only feeling sorry for him but feeling sorry for myself there's no way I'm going to help him become the best version of himself if I'm acting this way. You know, you got to pick yourself up and be a parent. And that's what I did, you know. Um, We were able to get a lot of good therapy up until he was uh, school-aged. And then when he started school, it was more of an explosion. You know, he definitely benefited from being around other kids especially his sisters but you know he was always trying to keep up always trying to catch up you know so I think about how I was when he was three years old and I was just a fucking miserable person so now you know that's legitimately my best friend in his world I spend I probably spend more time with my son than I do with anybody else you know I care about him that much he has made me such a better person, you know, a better man, a better husband, a better police officer. Thanks to him, I legitimately look at the world from a whole different perspective. I really do. Um, He taught me to to see just because someone is different, it doesn't mean they're less. Just because someone is different, doesn't mean they don't deserve to be treated uh, with the same dignity and respect as everyone else. And if I'm being honest, in this world, we treat people like my son like crap we treat them like the bottom of the barrel and speaking for me and for my wife and generally for my family we don't want sympathy I don't want you to feel sorry for us I want you to feel sorry for my son I want you to respect the way we're raising him I want you to be inspired by the way we're raising him I want you to treat him like you would treat any other decent human being And as a parent, that's my biggest fear is if, God forbid, I pass away before him and my wife passes away before him, how in the world would he be treated? Because people take advantage of kids like him and adults like him. He is such a generous and sweet human being. And honestly, I don't think he even sees evil in the world. I don't. And that's what keeps me up at night is... I got to be able to find a way to impact this world that makes it better for people like him. I realize now that's what I'm here for, you know. 
So all that time I spent feeling sorry for myself and being depressed and being sad about it, you know, it was it was wasted energy. I had to put all that energy into being something that can help him in his world, you know. Um, so when it comes to special needs, especially autism, but any kind of special needs, Down syndrome, you know, anything, I'm a very big advocate for those people. I'm a, I'm a voice for those people. I never want to see those people done wrong, you know. So that is why I am the way I am. And it's a big reason why I even started this podcast is because I'm not alone. I'm not the only special needs dad. My wife and I are not the only special needs parents in the world. But there's a certain stigma attached to not only uh, fathers in general, but of course, for black fathers. They think black fathers already don't take care of their children. It's even worse if it's a special needs situation. And I know a lot of special needs parents who are single for that reason. You know, a lot of strong special needs moms who are single because the dad couldn't take it. And even me, you know, there was never a thought of me leaving my family. Absolutely not. But when it happened, I was a fucked up person. I was depressed. I didn't know what to do with myself. So I understand that feeling. But that's never going to be an excuse to walk out on your family it will never be an excuse to walk out on your kids because they need us. Especially the special needs. They need us. So I'll never condone walking out on your kids. No excuse. You know? Um, so that's, that's a big reason why I started this podcast was to get, you know, a voice like mine out there. And hopefully it'll help other special needs parents. It'll help other special needs dads, families. And just even if you're not all the way well versed in the special needs community it'll make you take a second look you know especially when it comes to severe autism severe autism can look many different ways but i know for a fact severe autism when they're out in public and it could be a smell it could be a touch it could be a taste it may set off something in their sensory that makes it look like they're having a tantrum but it's a meltdown And especially younger kids, you know how we are. We see a kid having a tantrum in a store or somewhere public and they immediately start judging the parents. Why can't the parent get them to be quiet? Why can't the parent get them to behave, you know? And you really don't know. You don't know what that parent's going through and what they've been dealing with. My son luckily doesn't have a lot of meltdowns, but when he was younger and he had them, There were times he could be inconsolable for a while. No matter what we did, we would just have to wait it out. And thank God it didn't happen a lot in public. But if it did, you would think we were crazy because we're kind of just letting it happen. Because you can't stop a meltdown until, you know, whatever caused it is, is, is over with for that person. They're trying to regulate themselves, you know. So I, I want to be a, a voice for the special needs parent community, the law enforcement community, you know, and, and kind of bridge that gap and let people know that there's a voice out there for you. There are people out there for you who who see you, who hear you, who will speak for you and speak up for you if you can't speak up for yourself. You know, that's, that's really one of the big reasons why I started this podcast. <laughs> you know, um... But yeah, those are the two main things I wanted to touch on in this 
in this episode was giving you more in-depth about my law enforcement experience and my experience as a as a special needs parent, you know. It's uh, it's not all doom and gloom, you know. There's a lot of good times. Like I said, my, my, my son has made me a, a, a much better person, much better father, much better husband than I ever could have been before he came into our lives, you know. Uh, just yesterday, I was able to show people on my Instagram that after months and months and months of teaching him how to cross the street, we go on walks around our block as often as I can because, you know, I like to get him active and get him moving around. It's just a good way for us to spend time together. So now we've been doing it so often when we come to a corner where we have to cross the street, he'll stop and he'll tell me, I got to look this way. I got to look that way. I don't see any cars. Okay, no cars. Now we can cross. He's doing that on his own, which is, you know, phenomenal because growing up, he didn't have a really big sense of danger, fearless in a way that was dangerous. You know, the, the, the danger factor for him is not there like it is for other people. He's gotten a lot better at it, but it's, you know, it's still something that we have to monitor. Before we were able to get him swimming lessons, which is amazing as well. He's able to swim for the most part. Um, he would jump in the water without a care in the world, not knowing he can drown. We used to have to be on our P's and Q's around water because Sean would run and jump in. And God forbid, if we're fully clothed, we're going in there after him because he can't swim. He doesn't know that. He jumps right in the water, and underwater, he is smiling. That, that his best feeling ever when he's in the water so we had to give him swimming lessons and luckily working with this great swim teacher he's gotten better at that and for the most part if he jumps in water he knows how to bring himself up for air he knows how to doggy paddle and get himself to the edge and you know walk along the wall and go to a place where he can stand up that took a long time as well you know and I like telling stories like that because it shows that Nothing is impossible. It may be harder for some. It may take longer for some. But I don't think anything is impossible. You just have to continue to work at it. Especially when you're talking about a son or daughter with special needs. You have to continue to work at it. You cannot give up. It can get very frustrating, I know. It can get hard. But as long as you keep after it, they'll get to it. I'll tell you one last story before I go the biggest milestone we've ever had for him I think on top of him being able to talk he can say anything under the sun we're just working on him actually uh, voicing independent thoughts without prompt but our biggest milestone without a doubt is the fact that he is potty trained it took him much longer you know most kids are potty trained around two years old maybe three you know but he was in potty training until he was five. And let me tell you, a five-year-old boy changing his diapers and buying diapers for him, that's a struggle. That is a struggle. And it was the most trying time I have ever had because he was five. So that means he was in school and was only getting older. And, you know, I'm like, oh, man, what in the world are we going to do? If he goes to first grade or second grade and he's not potty trained, 
He has to go through a whole day of school and a diaper. You know what? On top of all the other struggles he's going to have, that's going to be the biggest one. Because let's be honest, who who pays teachers to change diapers of six and seven-year-olds? I mean, that's really not in their job description, you know. And on top of that, not being potty trained, it restricts us and the places we can go and the things we can do with a family because, you know, trying to keep from having to change his diaper while we're at amusement parks or even if he has to go spend the night at somebody's house. I mean, when it's your kid, you don't mind it. But when it's other people's kids, it absolutely is a chore. It absolutely is not fun. I have enough sense to know that. So, you know, the moment he got potty trained and was doing it on his own, that was the biggest relief off of my chest. And it took years, people. I mean, years. I had never been so frustrated in my life because I know my son is very intelligent. If one of my honest opinion, I believe my son is the most intelligent person I know. His IQ, I think, is very high. I think because his brain moves so fast, He's not able to keep up with it. That's my honest to God opinion, you know. So it would frustrate me knowing that he can he, he can be potty trained and he knows how to use the bathroom. He just won't do it, you know. And I had an epiphany, not only for myself but for my wife, you know, because I grew up. My dad was not a very strict disciplinarian, but you know I had to respect him, and usually. If he raised his voice and started yelling, I knew, uh-oh, you know, it's going down. So naturally, me being raised that way, when I became a parent, raising my voice a lot of times was the way I reacted to being frustrated with my kids. So, of course, you know, he's going to the bathroom on himself and, you know, I'm raising my voice and I'm just like mad and frustrated about it. And my wife tells me, Earl, why don't you try a different approach that approach is not working he's afraid of you and that approach is not working when it comes to him using the bathroom I think it's making it worse try a different approach you know and she was telling me how she was you know encouraging him and, and talking to him about it and just showing him so I did I switched gears I would show him what I wanted him to do I would talk to him about it I would take him to the bathroom as often as I could And when he did do it, it was a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of encouragement, telling him, what a great job. I'm so proud of him. And that is when he became potty trained, you know. So like I said, he's he's made me better, you know. And that also changed my approach in the way that I deal with his sisters. You know, I got two daughters. I can't be yelling at them again and, and raising my voice every single time I get mad or frustrated. I don't want them thinking that's normal behavior for a man from them. Absolutely not. You know, that's an epiphany I had to have. And it's good that I not only had it for myself, but my wife was there to tell me, hey, you should try this too. And for the most part, it's been working. I, you know, every now and again, when I know I have to put the fear of God in them, yeah, I'll raise my voice. Hey, clean that room up. Yeah, they need to know I mean business. But, you know, when it's something serious, the approach I've taken to actually talking to them and seeing how they feel and communicating with them better has gotten has gone a long way in the relationship with my daughters, you know. And the same way at work, you know. I'm not, I'm trying to figure out how to help someone much more than I am just dictating 
what's going to happen just because I'm a police officer, you know. So in all aspects of life, dealing with my son has made me a, a better person. And I'm just thankful that I was able to see that before I became somebody who I didn't want to be and should never have been, you know. So I'm glad I was able to touch on those two topics, you know, um, more of a in-depth look at who I am and, you know, my experiences and probably why I think the way I do and react the way I do in, in certain situations, you know. Uh, on this podcast, parenting is going to be a big theme, uh, and mental health is going to be a big theme. I do think we need to protect our mental health and talk about it and destigmatize it as much as possible because, you know, even when I was dealing with the depression around my son's diagnosis, I didn't seek out very many people to talk to. You know, I have a core group of friends I talk to, and they helped a little bit, you know, but. I probably should have been talking to more people and being more open about it, you know. But the stigma we have about we have to be strong men, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a strong man. And part of being a strong man is actually being able to express your feelings and express the moments that you're weak and that you may need support. That's part of being a strong man. That's part of being a good man, you know. So, uh... I want to touch on those two topics, especially the the topic of my son and, you know, his story. And I'll tell you more stories about him and, and things like that. But I wanted you to know exactly who I am and where I'm coming from. And, you know, and it's not going to always be like this on this podcast. I'm not always going to be talking like I am right now about, you know, heavy subjects. You know, I'm going to talk about things that are you know regular you know pop culture current events like i said i try to keep it i try to keep it atypical or apolitical but let's be honest that's harder to do these days a lot of what we do in the world is centered around politics so you know i'm gonna try to keep it as light on the politics as possible but you know sometimes you gotta talk about it you gotta get it out there um i'm a huge movie nerd huge uh especially superhero action comic book type movies i'm a huge nerd huge nerd we'll talk about that a whole lot trust me there's always something going on in that world uh, i'm a usc trojans fan for football or college football that is la lakers fan for basketball of course and a dallas cowboys fan for uh nfl football so i'll always be talking about them as well you know you'll probably get a good rant out of me when it comes to dealing with those teams it can be frustrating like uh last night at the cowboys tough loss you know in that game a very winnable game and just didn't execute you know same thing with the trojans it's not a good look right now we're on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows you know um and of course music music is also something that i love it's one of my passions uh I'm not really too much into a whole lot of new music. I just, I just don't like it. You know, nothing against them people out there getting their money. You know, but it's not music that I really like. You know, so we'll definitely be doing a lot of talking about older music. You know, rap, R&B, rock and roll, things like that. Uh, so that's what this show is going to be. 
in a nutshell. This one ran out a little bit longer, you know. I'll try to only occupy about 30 minutes of your day a week, you know, to get my opinion and talk about different things and and stuff like that. But if you have been listening to the end of this, you know, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting. Thanks for listening. Uh, This has been the Black and Blue Atypical Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, this is Earl, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you.